text. We'll read the entire 22nd Psalm, Psalm number 22. Psalm 22. Boy, can, can you sing this and, I mean, or sing it and say it and give justice, you know, unto it. I mean, you look at the very first words of the psalm. Um, may the Lord help us to enter in, you know, to, to what we're reading here this morning, uh, what's been done for us upon the cross. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? O my God, I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest not, and in the night season, and am not silent, but thou art holy. O thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in thee. They trusted and thou didst deliver them. They cried unto thee and were delivered. They trusted in thee and were not confounded. But I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men and despised of the people. All they that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head saying, he trusted on the Lord that would, he would deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing he delighted in him. But thou art he that took me out of the womb. Thou didst make me hope when I was upon my mother's breasts. I was cast upon thee from the womb. Thou art my God from my mother's belly. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. Many bulls have compassed me. Strong bulls of Bashan have beset me round. They gaped upon me with their mouths as a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue cleaveth to my jaws. And thou hast brought me into the dust of death. For dogs have compassed me. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I may tell all my bones. They look and stare upon me. They part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. Be not far from me, O Lord. O my strength, haste thee to help me. Deliver my soul from the sword, my darling from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth, for thou hast heard me from the horns of the unicorns. I will declare thy name unto my brethren. In the midst of the congregation will I praise thee. Ye that fear the Lord, praise him. All ye seed of Jacob, glorify him and fear him, all ye the seed of Israel. For he hath not despised nor poured the affliction of the afflicted. Neither hath he hid his face from him. But when he cried unto him, he heard. My praise shall be of thee in the great congregation. I will pay my vows before them that fear him. The meek shall eat and be satisfied. They shall praise the Lord that seek him. Your heart shall live forever. All the ends of the world shall remember and turn unto the Lord. 
and all the kindreds of the nation shall worship before thee. For the kingdom is the Lord's, and he is the governor among the nations. All they that be fat upon the earth shall eat and worship. All they that go down to the dust shall bow before him, and none shall keep alive his own soul. A seed shall serve him. It shall be accounted to the Lord for a generation. They shall come and shall declare his righteousness unto a people that shall be born, that he hath done this. Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, as we bow before you, what can we say? To read such words as this psalm begins with, to hear our Lord cry upon the cross, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Um, Father, it's more than, than, than almost we can bear to think upon what our Lord suffered upon that tree, what he did for us at Calvary, what, what you did in giving your only begotten son to be made sin, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. That he would could come and, as Brother JT was talking to us about this morning, fulfill all things. That he would fulfill perfectly the law. That we might find hope, Father, in him. That we might find hope in our Savior's atoning death. That we might find salvation in him. What a glory. What a triumph. What majesty. But in the beginning, as we read the, the psalm, we see the sorrow. We see how the Lord was acquainted with grief throughout of his, his lifetime. But, but here, what great grief, what great sorrow, what great trouble. As our sins were laid upon him, as he suffered, as it were, hell for us. That he, as it were, were was forsaken that we might not be. So, Father, we ask that you'd help us to see and to enter in, to understand, that you'd speak unto our hearts and minds. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. A somber psalm, is it not? Well, in conjunction with Psalm 22, I wanted to read also from Matthew 27. So if you want to turn to Matthew 27, I'm going to begin reading about verse number 15. There's certainly more that we could read there in the, in the 27th uh, chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. But we'll just begin at verse number 15. Matthew 27, verse number 15. Now at that feast, the governor was wont to release unto the people a prisoner whom they would, so they could choose. You know, there were all these prisoners, and you know, who would you choose from? And they had then a notable prisoner called Barabbas. Therefore, when they were gathered together, Pilate said unto them, he, he knew how notorious Barabbas was. He knew what a problem Barabbas was. He was seeking to wash his hands of this whole ordeal, and he set up Barabbas or Jesus, thinking, surely I can get out of it now. Surely they won't choose Barabbas. Surely they will ask for Jesus to be released. 
Therefore, when they were gathered together, Pilate said unto them, Whom will ye that I release unto you, Barabbas or Jesus, which is called Christ? For he knew that for envy they had delivered him. When he was set down on the judgment seat, his wife said unto him, saying, Have thou nothing to do with this or with that just man? For I have suffered many things this day in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitude. Can you imagine? The chief priests and the elders are out amongst the multitude. And they're whipping up this fervor. They're whipping up this anger. They're, they're whipping up this decision to be made that Barabbas would be released and that the Lord would be crucified. The chief priests and elders persuaded the multitude that they should ask Barabbas and destroy. Listen to the words that are being used and destroy. I mean, you, you hear them at one point saying, um, crucify him, crucify him, let his blood be upon us and our children. Not just upon them, but upon them and their children. The governor answered and said to them, Whether of the twain will you that I release unto you? They said, Barabbas. And Pilate saith unto them, What shall I do then with Jesus, which is called Christ? They all say unto him, You remember how he had scourged him and brought him out before the people, thinking this is enough. Um, but they cried all the more. And the governor said, they said, let, let him be crucified. And the governor said, what, what evil hath he done? But they cried all the more, saying, let him be crucified. You remember, even they went so far as to argue, he made himself out to be God. You know, you're no friend of Caesar. Caesar regarded himself to be. You know, all Caesars regarded themselves to be gods. You're no friend of Caesar if you don't crucify him. And when Pilate saw that he could prevail nothing, but that rather a tumult was made. I mean, this is a mob. He took water and he washed his hands before the multitude saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person, this innocent person. See ye to it. Then answered all the people and said, His blood be upon us and our children. Then released he Barabbas unto them, and when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the common hall and gathered unto him the whole band of soldiers, and they stripped him, and they put on him a scarlet robe. And when they had plaited a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and a reed in his right hand, and they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, This is just the beginning of mockings. He's hanging up on the cross, and they're still walking by, mocking him. So when they had plaited a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and read in his right hand. They bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit upon him and took the reed and smote him on the head. And I don't think this was a tap. I mean, these are hardened soldiers. These are men that, that had been given the task of crucifying people over and over and over and over again. They had done it multitude of times. They had seen battle. They had seen bloodshed. Um, they, they, were, they were beating the Lord upon the head with this reed, mocking him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And after they had mocked him, verse 31 says, they took the robe off, 
from him and put his own raiment upon him and led him away to be crucified. And as they came out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. Him they compelled to bear his cross. And when they were coming to a place called Golgotha, that is to say, a place of a skull. I mean, even the place they crucified people. They, they, they saw this place and it looked like the shape of a skull. And so that's the place that they crucified criminals, which our Lord was not. They gave him vinegar to drink mingled with gall. And when he had tasted thereof, he would not drink. And they crucified him and parted his garments. They gambled at his feet. For his clothing, they cast lots that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. They parted my garments among them, and upon my vesture they did cast lots. I want you to consider the fact, and I'm not finished reading, but I want you to consider the fact this, this in Psalm 22 is a thousand plus years before the cross. And David is writing these words, and they are the very words you know, if you didn't know any better, you would think it was history being written and not prophecy, right? And so at the same time, here's the prophet that says, they parted my garments among them and upon my vesture that he had cast lots. And sitting down, they watched him there and set up over his head his accusation written, this is the king of the Jews. Then were there two thieves crucified with him, one on the right hand and the other on the left. And they that passed by reviled him, wagging their heads and saying, Thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself. If thou be the Son of God, come down from the cross. Likewise also the chief priest mocking him with the scribes and elders. Just side note here. These are the bulls. These are the dogs. You know, and if you wonder about Shalom the unicorn, you have to go back and look at the original in the Hebrew, but it's not this horse with a spiraled you know, uh, horn coming from its head. Um, you know, these are wild oxen. Um, I, I've, I've never seen, I've heard of men being gored to death by the horn of such an animal. I've not actually seen it. I don't know if you've seen it. Brother, all the years you've dealt with cattle, uh, have you ever seen anybody gored before? Uh, yeah, yeah. So these are the, like I said, these are the, the bulls of Bashan. These are the dogs. These are the lions that gaped upon him with their mouths saying these things unto him, mocking him. He saved others, himself he cannot save. If he be the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross and we will believe him. Would they really? He trusted in God. Let him deliver him now, if he will have him. For he said, I am the son of God. And, and listen, Here's these, these men that are being crucified on the left and the right of him. And it says, The thieves also which were crucified with him cast the same in his teeth. Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. 
And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, the very thing that we're reading here in Psalm 22. Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Some of them that stood there when they heard that said, this man calleth for Elias. And straightway one of them ran and took a sponge and filled it with vinegar and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. The rest said, let be, let us see whether Elias will come to save him. Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom, and the earth did quake, and the rocks rent, and the graves were open, and many bodies of the saints which slept arose and came out of the graves after his resurrection and went into this holy city and appeared unto many. Now when the centurion and they that were with him watching Jesus saw the earthquake and those things that were done, they feared greatly. Can you imagine if you had been one of those men who had spat upon him? beat him with a rod, had scourged him, had plucked out of his, his beard, had plaited you know, a crown of thorns upon his head and come to this place and begin to have the realization this was no ordinary man. Truly, this was the Son of God. A confession that those bulls and those dogs and those lions did not make. Um, so we enter here into the gospel in the Psalms, right? So here's the gospel of Matthew. We're reading this from Matthew 27, and it is the very words that, that David uses um, that he's moved to pen. I mean, did David have some sort of an experience that caused him to pen these words? Yes, absolutely. Uh, there was something. You, know, you remember at one time when David had said, now I know. Now I know surely I'm going to die at the hand of Saul. I mean, he came to that low of a place. I don't, I don't know whether depths that, that David, you know, came to, you know, during um, all the things that he went, you know, through, whether it, it be with Bathsheba or it be with, you know, Absalom or, you know, what are the other things that we could name that, that seem to be those high points of sorrow uh, in David's life. But on some occasion... David penned these words. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? You know, he actually said those words. Now, like we said last week and the week before, you know, there, there is an application unto David, but there is the greater fulfillment in Christ. And absolutely we see that here, don't we? Um, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? You read one passage this morning out of Hosea, brother Israel shall cry unto me, God, my God, we know thee. I mean, did they? And, and yet they went after idols, but certainly here the Lord could say such. My God, I cry unto thee, I, I know thee. Oh, my God, I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest not in the night season, and I'm not silent. I mean, when, when did this crying begin? I mean, the Lord knew where he was going. He knew where he was headed. He knew that it was his time. How many times before had he said at different places, my time is not yet? But here, and, and, and from the garden, 
you know, through here, his time had come. I mean, he's praying in the garden, sweating, as it were, great drops of blood. And he says, if it be possible. Mm-hmm. If it be possible, let this cup. I mean, he sh- did he have reason to shrink from the cup? I mean, we're talking about holiness manifest in the flesh. We're talking about God manifest in the flesh. That's what Scripture tells us. And here's this cup of sin, this cup of wrath, this cup of judgment that he's going to be required to drink to the very last drop. It's unthinkable. It's, 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 it's seemingly unbearable uh, to think upon such. And yet, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. It, it is out of the depths of the most extremely sorrowful circumstances that the Lord cries out here in verse number one. Why hast thou forsaken me? Now just consider the word why. Why had he been forsaken? Why is this? What cause? I mean, even Pilate saying, I see no cause. I see no reason for him to be crucified. Why was the cause? If, if you're the son of God, truly come down off the cross is the thing that was cast at him. He would not. He would not come down off the cross. I mean, it's remarkable to me as you read that account and they hear him cry unto God and they say, let's see if God will come. You have no concept of the holiness of God at that point. You have no concept of the wrath of God. You remember what the Lord said to Pilate? He said, I could call more than 12 legions of angels. And we know what just one angel could do. We see the devastation. 12 legions of angels? Uh, and they're, they're wanting to see something like that? Let's see if God will come down. That's that's crazy. Uh, that's, that's insane. But that's man in his sin. I mean, isn't, isn't that the condition that men are in? I mean, that, 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 they, that they do not cry out and ask God to save them. They do not ask for mercy. They do not smite themselves upon the breast and say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And they're walking around every day, as it were, you know, thumbing their nose at God, shaking their fist at God. It, it, it is insane. It's depravity. It's being taken captive by the devil at his will. It, it, it's just incredible to think about, isn't it? Why? What is the cause? We are. We are the cause. Why hast thou forsaken me? It's because of us. It's because of our sins. It's our sins that nailed him there, right? It's our redemption that's the cause that the Father has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. There was no cause in him. No cause. No cause in him for God to leave his own son, to forsake him upon the cross, to such a death at the hands of the creature. 
I said something. Where are you at, Lydia? There you are. Where's Anna? She's back in the back. Okay. Um, I was talking to Lydia yesterday and asked her if she ever heard the word deicide. You know the word deicide? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she said, who could do that? Wicked hands took and slew the Lord of glory. And he willingly, or otherwise they would not have been able to, but he willingly died upon the cross for our sins. But yes, God was put to death. I understand your statement, you know. Who could do that? I mean, we could look at that on, in, in more than one way, couldn't we? Who would? Who could do that? And on the other hand, who could possibly do that? Who is strong enough to be able to do that? How many men could be gathered together and all the, the, the unholy and wicked evil angels that exist to be able to do that? Only because God had determined that it should be done that he might save us from our sins. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. They hated him without a cause. Yeah. What were you saying, Brother Bruce? Yeah. Yeah. God, right. God estranged from God. God, God saved us from himself. He saved us from his wrath. No cause in him. We have the, the word hast. It had already begun. Why hast? It already, it was already, he was already enduring it at that moment. Why hast thou forsaken me? And then you think about the word thou. God. Whom he had, had enjoyed eternal communion with from before the beginning of the earth if we can speak of eternity and eternity past which is that's not even accurate we know that but we have no way to to really wrap our minds around that thou judas forsake him yes the disciples flee you know the, the shepherd was going to be smitten and the sheep were going to be scattered Yes, but thou, why hast thou forsaken me? The just for the unjust, the hell that was ours, he sucked the heavy hand of God upon him, of God's judgment for our sins, that he drank to the very last drop. Lydia frequently enters into my study when I'm back there, which is, great you know we have a lot of good discussions but she entered at one point last night where i was looking through all these various views upon this very thing you know that we're talking about here and those who said no you know god did not forsake his only begotten son and those who say yes god did forsake his only begotten son i won't get into all that i'll just read this i thought it was i thought it was a good statement i don't know how many of you are familiar with with uh, James Montgomery Boyce. You know him, Brother Bruce? He said this, it's a little bit long. The most 
poignant verse in the entire psalm is the first. Absolutely, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? It's also the most disturbing section, you know, in a sense. Is it possible? Did that really happen? Could that be done? You know, there's these things that go through your mind as you read it for the first time. For here the suffering one cries out to God, believing that he has been forsaken by him, asking why he's been forsaken, and asserting that God is silent. There's no answer when he cries out. The idea, he says, that Jesus could be forsaken by God has been so disturbing to so many people that various theories, that's what I was referring to, have been invented to explain it. Some have supposed that Jesus was referring to the psalm only to call attention to it, as if to say that what he was suffering was what the psalm describes. Others have argued that Jesus felt forsaken, when in fact he was not. In the final outcome, of course, Jesus was not forsaken. In the final outcome, right? We see that in the psalm. In the final outcome, he was not. We can agree with that. This is what the psalm as a whole shows. Besides, we know that the crucifixion was followed by the resurrection. All this aside, however, I do not hesitate, he says, to say that according to the teaching of the New Testament, Jesus was indeed forsaken by God while he bore the sins of his people upon the cross. And it is incredible to say so. To imagine so. I mean, I'll stop reading there for a second and, and just say this. You've never been as a child of God. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Never. I will never. The I will of God, I don't think there's any problem with God being able to fulfill what he has promised I will never leave thee. I will never forsake thee. Now, in our experience, certainly at times we have felt God to be distant. Have you not felt God distant at times in your life? Absolutely. But that is a far cry from being forsaken. You still have that promise. Even when you feel like God is distant, distant. You, you, you still have that promise. I, God has said he would never leave me. Regardless of how I feel, and here's that whole concept again, right? You know, going, this thing of feelings. Though I may feel like I have been abandoned, that is not reality. And, and that, is, that is not faith. That is certainly unbelief. You know, faith will cling to the promises of God. Faith will cling to that which is said unto us, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. So let me continue reading. Where I left off was, he said, I do not hesitate to say that according to the teaching of the New Testament, Jesus was indeed forsaken by God while he bore the sin of his people upon the cross. This is the very essence of the atonement. Jesus bearing our hell in order that we might share his heaven. 
To be forsaken means to have the light of God's countenance and the sense of his presence eclipsed. I mean, a total eclipse. It's like we've talked about before, you know, sometimes the clouds, you know, can hide the sun. But the last time I said it, what Donnie said, the sun's still there, right? I mean, the sun is still there. It may seem as if we have been abandoned, but it's not true. It is not true. It just may seem that way to us, but this is a far cry from that, and it is, like he says here, the sense of his presence eclipsed, which is what happened to Jesus as he bore the wrath of God against sin for us. He goes on to say, how could this happen? How could this happen? How could, and remember, he's already said it did. But he's saying, how could one member of the eternal Trinity turn his back upon another member of the Trinity? His answer, I do not know. I cannot explain it. But I believe, he says, that this is what the Bible teaches. So great was the love of God for us, and so great was the price Jesus willingly paid to save us from our iniquities, that he endured that, that he suffered that. Think about what Zechariah 13, 7 says. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd and against the man that is my fellow. Isn't that a great, it, incredible? Sayeth the Lord of hosts, smite the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. I mean, the words that the Lord said. He said, the shepherd's going to be smitten. I'm going to be smitten. And the sheep, you, are going to be scattered. So, why is the question that the Lord asks in verse number one? And we find the answer in verse number three. Look at Psalm 22, verse number three. What do we read there? So, why hast thou forsaken me? We know it's because of our sins. Well, here's further clarification. Thou art holy a holy God who must punish sin, who cannot turn a blind eye. The Lord says, thou art holy. Why? Thou art holy. Thou art holy. The Lord's not complaining of injustice here. Instead, what he's really doing is acknowledging God's righteousness. You are right in what you are doing here upon the cross, the work that's being done. You are right in what you're doing. The wages of sin is death. Romans 6.23, God spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. Romans 8.32. I mean, look at the scene you know, we, we've talked about the bulls and the dogs and, 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 and that sort of thing and, and, and even the, the demonic forces 
believe me, that are in effect. I mean, these men and their wrath and their anger and their willingness to crucify him. Depravity, yes, but beyond that, demonic uh, even. But think about creation itself. Creature is putting to death the Son of God and what is happening. I mean, there's an eclipse of the sun. The rocks are split. The earth is shaking, um, trembling even as the wrath of God is poured out upon the Son when He was made to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. No wonder the Lord prayed in the garden saying, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful even unto death, He said. Luke said His agony was so great that He sweated as it were great drops of blood that were falling to the ground. You know, he, he went a space and he left some of the disciples. And then he carried some others a little further. But that's as far as they could go. He was the one that had to bear these things. He was the one that had to suffer these things. He went all the way. You remember they came to take him in the garden? And he says, if it's me that you're after, Leave these alone. He suffered and died alone. Alone. Yes, there were some at a distance. There were some that were looking on at a distance. What could they do? What could the disciples do? And those who could do something weren't willing to. They weren't going to. Those in authority, those... I mean, Pilate tried. But even he was unsuccessful. God was determined. He wasn't going to be able to. Release Jesus. When he says, Thou art holy, in verse number three, it's as if, I, I forget who said this, but this is not original with me. It says, Though you have not responded to me, you remain the Holy One of Israel. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Though he's not responded, he said, God's not, God's silent. And the Lord says, You're holy. Thou art holy. You remain the Holy One of Israel who has demonstrated His gracious attention time and time again to your people. And is that what we read next? Talks about our fathers being delivered. Talks about them not being confounded. Talks about them calling upon Him time and time again and God delivered them. Even after they'd gone after idols and they cried unto the Lord and the Lord delivered them. They'd been, been, been taken into bondage in places and cried to the Lord and the Lord delivers them. But here, as our Savior hung upon the cross, He cries unto the Lord, there's no deliverance. At least not there. We see in the end there is. He's resurrected from the dead. I have the power to lay down my life and to take it up again. This commandment I've received from my Father. But I want you to notice that even... In this eclipse, as it were. I mean, I know the sun physically is eclipsed at this point. There's darkness everywhere. 
But that is what the Lord was feeling on the cross. Why hast thou forsaken me? There's this eclipse of the presence of an answer. God's silent, you know. But still, even so, the Lord continues to cling. There's no answer, but he continues to cling. What is that saying to us? I mean, we go through far less. What are we to do? Even when we, even when we think that, that God's silent, when we think that God's not there, what can we do but cling? Yes. Yeah. My, my soul waits upon the Lord just to cling unto him. What else can we do? I mean, it, it's, it's like when he said those hard sayings. And there were many disciples who went away. And the Lord looks at these and says, will you also go away? And their answer is what we're talking about. Where shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. I have nothing else to cling to. I have nowhere else to go. Nothing else to hope in. You are what the Lord says here, my God. You're my God. Where else can I go? Out of the depths of agony in his distress, he cries. He, he, he presents this argument here. Our fathers trusted in thee. They trusted and thou didst deliver them. They cried unto thee and were delivered. They trusted in thee and were not confounded. I, have you ever used that argument before? I have. I mean, some of you know somewhat, some of you know some more, you know, about when Teresa was sick. And there was another brother that was going through something very similar. His wife did die in his arms. But as I watched him walking ahead of me, going through that, and I was looking at our own circumstances, thinking that may be the same thing that I'm called to endure. I said, Lord, as I saw that brother stand behind the pulpit at the Bible conferences that we were going to at that time and speak and hear the hope that came forth from his mouth and his heart, I said the very thing. I said, Lord, if you can bring him through that, you can bring me through it. If you're able to bring him through that, Lord, this is a very sorrowful time in my life. If you can bring that brother through such a sorrowful time. I can remember Brother Bob having Woodruff, and that's who I'm talking about, but some of you never had the opportunity to meet him. I'm sorry that you didn't because he was a precious brother. He would, we would go see him during, at the end when he was drawing near to death and he just overflowed upon us he was that way every time you got around him he just overflowed on you the things of God just poured forth you know from him and you would just sit there and bask in the glory of it all you'd have very little to say little to add you know you would just you would just drink it in and be like more 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 and yet he was the one suffering and you think to yourself, Lord, if you can make him like that, 
you know, you could make me like that, where I could be such a blessing unto people, you know, as that. But I remember him having that travel trailer in the hospital parking lot and him telling me that he would leave his wife's room and that he would go to that trailer and fall down upon his face and cry out to God. I mean, the picture, you know, is similar to what we have here. So, but it's so much further. I mean, he's, he's back there crying unto the Lord in the floor of that travel trailer where the disciples were falling asleep, where they were falling asleep in comparison to where the Lord is here. But he says, they weren't confounded. They weren't disappointed. They cried unto you and you heard them. And can we not? I mean, if we're going to talk about it from the standpoint of going through things that we've gone through, we felt the Lord to be at some distance. Have we not found in the end how near the Lord really was? And how the Lord was working in all these things for our good and for his glory? On the other side of those things, and can't we thank him? Has he ever left us or forsaken us? No, he hasn't. He hasn't. The place that we occupy is one of deliverance. Because the Lord was delivered unto death for our sins, we're heard. We're not forsaken. We're delivered. As I said, you may feel abandoned, but you're not. God said so. I don't, I don't care how you feel. Uh, I had Lydia, when once, at one point when Lydia walked in and, and she asked me what I was looking for, she could tell I was looking for something. And it was something that I had seen online, something that she had actually shown me. And so she found it. And it was, it was an interview or a Q&A you know, session. John MacArthur sitting here, John Piper sitting there. And John Piper is recounting a time in his life when they were actually on vacation and he's sitting on the steps of whatever place they had rented and he's just weeping. And his wife comes out and she says, what's wrong? And he says, I don't know. I don't know. And he said it lasted for several years. And at that point, John MacArthur's like, several years? And Piper says, I've known people like this. He said, I've got a, I had a deacon in the church once that he said, so tell me, what is depression? Do you run across many people like that that don't know what depression is? Um, but, you know, here he was in this state for this extended period of time. Could you not feel like God had abandoned you if for several years you were in such a depressed state that you didn't even know why you were depressed? That you would weep and not even know why you were weeping? I would think so. It's William Cooper kind of territory, isn't it? I mean, his entire life, it seemed like, uh, after a certain age, you know, he, was, and he tried to commit suicide several times. John Newton, a continual encouragement. Uh, even after he had moved to a different pastorate in a different town, continue to lift that brother up because he was in such a state of depression. Uh, and he couldn't get out of it. He could be encouraged, but he couldn't escape it. Sinclair Ferguson calls what's happening here, what we're reading, we're talking about the Lord being forsaken. He calls it divine desertion. 
divine desertion. And he goes on to talk about how what we've been talking about, it's helpful for us to see this and to know that we'll never suffer that, but to see in the end the Lord was delivered and to know that there is a deliverance, you know, for us in all the things that we're going through. David may have felt like God had forsaken him, but he hadn't. He hadn't. I mean, the desertion the Lord endured here, we, if you're in Christ, we will never have to face. I mean, maybe you've known some desertion in your life. You know, maybe someone has disappointed you and deserted you. I mean, they've just flat out left you. Not that they died and left you. I mean, they just left, deserted you. But what is that in comparison to feeling like the Lord has abandoned us? Um, and, and we have some scripture like that. You know, it talks about a mother may forget her nursing child, but God says, I will not forget thee. I'll not forget you. I mean, a mother throws her baby in a dumpster it's incredible to think about it, isn't it? I mean, that life that has grown inside the womb, you know, for those nine months, and then once it's, the child is born, just to abandon it, um, it, it that, that, is, that is not the norm, is it? That's the unusual, that's the strange. But God says, though that may happen, though that does happen, Though that can and does happen, I will never desert you. I mean, if everybody deserts us, God won't. God won't. So you may feel distant with no sense of God's presence, but you have, believer, you have, Christian, never been deserted, never been forsaken. I mean, if we were, how, how, would, how would you ever have any hope? I mean, how could, you, how could you muster any hope at all? Well, what is the reason for the hope that you have? It's because God has not deserted us. God has not forsaken us. That is the reason. Listen to this psalm, Psalm 37, verse 28. For the Lord loveth judgment and forsaketh not his saints. They are preserved forever. He forsaketh not his saints. They are preserved forever. The seed of the wicked shall be cut off. Now, when you carry it to that place and you think about what hell will be like, cut off. I mean, I, I guess in, in, in the rich man, in his death, Abraham, you know, kind of describes it and he says, there's a chasm between us and you can't pass. We can't pass over to you, can't pass over to us. They are in hell deserted. They are in hell forsaken. You will never be forsaken, Christian. But the wicked shall be cut off forever. Forever. Hebrews 12, 3 and 4 says, For consider... Him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself. You think about the bulls. You think about the dogs. You think about the lions. 
lest you be wearied and faint in your minds. For you have not resisted unto blood striving against sin. And then he goes on in verse number five to say, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And you think about the word forsaken, that's a lonely word, isn't it? That is a lonely word, forsaken. What an unbearable thought it would be for us to be in such a place, forsaken. But we're forgiven because he was forsaken. Isaiah 53 verse 10 says, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When he, he made his soul, God made the soul of his son an offering for sin. That's what Isaiah says. He shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. I mean, listen to this in verse number 11. He shall see the travail of his soul and be satisfied. I mean, that's a remarkable thing too, isn't it? That God is satisfied. That Christ took our sins upon himself and God is satisfied. That when God looks upon you, he sees his son. That when God looks upon you, he's pleased. That when God looks upon you and you cry unto him that he hears you, that you can come boldly under the throne of grace to obtain mercy. He shall see the travail of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him, here's the deliverance, right? A portion with the great. And he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. In this is love, First John 4.10 says, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be what we sang about in that hymn, the propitiation for our sins. In, in that hymn too, it says Christ was crushed beneath the weight. A weight we'll never know. Because he bore it. Because he suffered it. Because he endured it on our behalf. Our Lord was made a little lower than the angels, but it doesn't compare himself to a man. I mean, where he is here, he says, I'm a worm and not a man. In that same 53rd chapter of Isaiah, verse number 3, he's despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace, the peace that we now have, the peace that you enjoy, that peace was upon him. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Well, let me skip over some things that I've touched on already um, and try to, try to bring this, you know, to a close to where we can find a point that we can enter in, you know, next week, the Lord willing. 
Think about as he cried, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? I mean, this is a prayer up on the cross. And they scorned that prayer. They scorned even his prayers. Not only did they take with wicked hands and slay the Lord of glory and put to death the Lord of glory, but they ridiculed him, they laughed at him, they spit upon him, they mocked him, they beat him, they plucked the hair from his beard and plaited the crown of thorns upon his head. They emitted their scorn like a volcano spews out lava. And yet the Lord still, in verse number 9, hopes in God. All that he's enduring, he still hopes in God. He says in verse 9, Thou art he that took me out of the womb. You gave me hope when I nursed upon my mother's breasts. I've been cast upon you from the womb, from the time that I was born. Thou art my God from my mother's belly. You still hear him clinging to, clinging upon God himself. We read there in Matthew 27, they reviled him, they wagged their heads. They say, you, you that say that, 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 that destroy the temple and raise it up in three days, save thyself. He was talking about the temple of his body, wasn't he? And he would raise it again in three days. If thou be the son of God, come down off the cross. They mocked him. He saved others. He can't save himself. If he's the king of Israel, let him come down and I'll believe. He trusted in God. Let him deliver him now. He said, I'm the son of God. And the thieves also that were with him cast the same in his teeth. And guess what? I'll take and make application of 1 Corinthians 6.11 here and say, such were some of you. Such were we. We were once enemies of God. We were once at enmity with God. We were once just like these people. Such were some of you, right? But you are washed. But you are sanctified. But you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Such a one was one of those thieves being crucified beside the Lord. When you think about the sayings of the Savior upon the cross, Consider this one and this thief who says, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he says, truly, I say unto you, this day thou shalt be with me in paradise. He cries out in verse number 11, be not far from me for trouble is near and there is none to help. Many bulls have compassed me, strong bulls of Bashan have beset me round about they gaped upon me with their mouths as a, a ravening and roaring lion. Amos 4.1 says, Hear this word, ye kind of Bashan, K-I-N-E, which would be like cattle, right? That are in the mountains, or the mountain of Samaria, which oppress the poor. Was he in a poor condition? Yes. Which crush the needy. He says, I'm poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. I mean, the most sorrowful news that you've ever received and the way that you felt fits along these lines. I mean, it can't even begin to compare. 
to what the Lord's feeling here. It's melted in the midst of my bowels. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue cleaveth to my jaws. Thou hast brought me into the dust of death. You ever been thirsty? It's not like this. It's not like this. What was he thirsting for? God. Uh, the living God he's thirsting for. I read something that I thought I would share with you. The, the man's, he was a, a bishop. His last name was Mant. I don't know if you know that name. Um, but he said this, Poured forth like water is my frame, my bones asunder start, as wax that feels the searching flame within me melts my heart. My withered sinews shrink unstrung like potsherd dried and dead, cleaves to my jaws my burning tongue, the dust of death, my bed. He's trying his best in poetic form, you know, to describe what the Lord is saying unto us here that was his experience. He says, for dogs have compassed me, the assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. Like I said, they knew nothing of crucifixion in this day, and it's being described right here. That wasn't something that had, that torture hadn't been invented yet. Um, I may tell all my bones, they look and stare at me. They part my garments among them, cast lots for my vesture, and he still clings to the Lord. He still clings to his God. He says, be not far from me, O Lord, my strength. Haste thee to help me. Deliver my soul from the sword, my darling from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth, for thou hast heard me from the horns, like I said, of wild oxen. Right? That's probably what, I don't know, Brother Donnie, you've got your NESB. Is that what um, verse number 21 says there at the end of it, where he's heard him from the horns of, is it wild oxen? Yeah. yeah. I mean, the pain and the torture and the suffering and the agony. I mean, like I said, I've never seen a man gored before. But you put these animals in the place of these people and what they're doing and what they're saying. And it's an imagery like that. Acts 2, 23 and 24 says him being delivered by the determinate counsel, right? Determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God didn't, didn't release them from the evil they had done. By wicked hands have crucified. You have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain whom God hath raised up having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. You remember they said... Men and brethren, what shall we do? Um, there was redemption even for them. Just like for the thief on the cross who had cast those aspersions at the Lord just like everybody else. And such were some of you just like us. There was yet salvation. We could say with Wesley, as we think upon those men that had actually taken with wicked hands and had slain the Lord of glory. And such were some of them. That could have been us, right? That could have been us had we been there. We can say with, with Wesley, and can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Died he for me who caused his pain? 
for me who him to death pursued. Well, I guess we'll stop there, but he was forsaken so that we would not be. He bore our sins so that we should not have to suffer for them. What could we ever have done to satisfy the wrath of God? Nothing. The only thing God will receive is the atoning blood of his only begotten son. Mm -hmm. And the only way you're going to escape, if you're not in Christ this morning, the only way you're going to escape is by believing upon him, repenting of your sins and believing upon him. Otherwise, you are one of these bulls. You are one of these dogs. You are one of these lions. You are one of these wild oxen. Gaping upon him with your mouth. Rejecting him, as it were. Let him be crucified. What do I care? So, how do you see yourself in light of this text? Does it give you hope? If we're in Christ, it does. What hope we have? In Christ alone, my hope is found. Right? If you're outside of Christ, woe unto you. Woe unto you. If you'll not repent. I mean, this forsakenness that we see, you will know it if you do not repent. If you do not believe upon the Lord, if you do not call upon him, that you might be saved. Mm -hmm. Who knows when the end will be? You know, I mean, weeks ago, we knew nothing of Cheryl's brother having this sort of a problem. The day came, unaware. How many people are caught? unaware how many people are caught unprepared you know well Lord help us how thankful we ought to be for what Christ has done that the Lord is very near unto us in time of trouble instead of very far I mean those who are in hell right now how far is God away from them? Can't measure the distance. In hell, forsaken. Forsaken. Well, let's stand and we'll go to the Lord in prayer. Well, first of all, we'll sing. I think we have a song to sing. Number 303 in the black book. Number 303 in the black book. <clears throat> 